Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful week so far and are excited to be back in the Lord's house and in the book of the prophet Habakkuk. Now, as you remember, the prophet Habakkuk is prophesying in a terrible age in Judah. The people have turned their back on God. They followed after idolatry, and if they are to be found in the temple at all, they're simply running through the motions. The rich take advantage of the poor. There is violence used that people may have their own way outside of the law. The picture the prophet Habakkuk is giving us here is of an age of lawlessness, and he says that, an age of sin, of idolatry, an age of rebellion against the glory of God. And so it's an evil age, a terrible age. And the prophet inquires of God, why have you not acted to bring justice? This is your people, God. This is your nation. This is your city of Jerusalem. Why have you not acted? I've cried out to you, Habakkuk says. I've cried out over and over again. I cried out and, and asked God, why are you not acting? I, I even cried out violence, O God, violence, and you have not responded. You have not rescued. God responds to him, doesn't he? He responds and says that he is doing something. But his plan is so astounding that Habakkuk would struggle to believe it, even if it were revealed to him. God is raising up the Chaldeans to judge Judah. Now, this plan is not the Habakkuk's liking, is it? We know that immediately. In fact, God's plan seemingly exacerbates the very problem Habakkuk has been referencing. Why does God allow the powerful to prosper without judgment upon them? While God is bringing judgment on the powerful oppressors of Judah, it will also have consequences for the faithful of Judah. And the instrument of judgment is the very picture of godless power and oppression, the Chaldeans. So while God, in one sense, answers Habakkuk's initial question, his plan reiterates the problematic pattern that Habakkuk has identified. He sees the ungodly prospering at the expense of the weak, and God's answer is as elegant as it is significant. He gives Habakkuk a prophecy for the ages, one that should be written down for all future generations. It should be written down on tablets of stone, and we spoke about the significance of that before. It will surely come to pass. If it seems to you to be tearing, wait for it. It's not tearing at all. It will occur perfectly in God's timing, in God's perfect timing. If it seems to tarry, it's because you are desiring it to happen too soon. God knows when it surely should come to pass. And so this is a message of judgment and salvation. It divides men up into two categories, the just and the proud. God simply says the soul of the proud is not upright before him. But he says the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. That verse in Habakkuk 2.4 is one of the most important verses in all the scriptures. We've spoken about that. The just shall live by faith. God is declaring that judgment is coming for the proud, for the arrogant, for all those who trust in themselves. Judgment is coming. But for all those who trust in the Lord and live according to faith, my friends, they shall find life in the Lord. This verse is incredibly revelatory. This entire book is in regard to salvation, and yet 
ultimately, even though this is a passage that points to salvation by faith alone, this scripture, Habakkuk 2, 1 through 4, really opens the door to the rest of the chapter, which is about judgment. And so we want to read that section now so that we might be prepared to deal with it. The prophet writes, beginning in verse 5, Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city, and all of all who dwell in it. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples, and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed the fire and the nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to the bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and the violence of the land and the city, and of all who dwell in it. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? the molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, Awake, to silent stone arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him the word of the Lord. Amen. What an awesome passage of Scripture. What an awesome prophecy. What an awesome word of God to Habakkuk the prophet. And as we think about this text tonight, uh, I want us to think of three points. First of all, the rebellion of pride. First of all, the rebellion of pride. Second of all, the woes of God. And third, the glory of God. Beginning first with this idea of the rebellion of pride, we should begin where the text begins. Last Wednesday night, we looked at verses one through four, and they culminated in that incredibly important verse, verse four, 
Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. There is a division there between two people. In fact, all people are divided into two camps, the just who live by faith and the proud who place their trust in themselves. That's the division. And now Habakkuk is getting a word from the Lord in which the Lord will explain something about the proud, the rebellion, if you will, of the proud against God. And notice he begins immediately in verse 5, Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. Now, again, he sins by his drunkenness. Now, uh, we've recently gone through 1 Thessalonians, and there is a section there which speaks about living in the day or living in the night. And it says there, Paul says, the night is a time of drunkenness, of sleep. In other words, don't be in the nighttime, don't be unawares, don't be asleep, don't be drunken. This is biblical imagery. Being drunken with the uh, pride or with lust, to be drunken, to be intoxicated by the riches of this world, by the sin of this world, do not be drunken in that sense. In fact, the Bible tells us not to be drunken in any sense, right? We are not to be drunkards. We are not to be uh, overindulgent when it comes to alcohol, and we are certainly not to be in this sense of people who are uh, drunk with power, drunk with rebellion against God. He says, of this proud man, he does not stay at home. Now, how are we to interpret that? Well, look at the very next verse, because this is the reason he doesn't stay at home, because he enlarges his desire as hell. In other words, his desire constantly enlarges. It cannot be satisfied. It cannot be satisfied just as Sheol, or, or it's translated here as hell, just as it can take an endless supply of the dead, it would seem. No matter how many die, more die and yet can go. So in the same way, this proud man never has enough. His belly is never full. His bank account is never prosperous enough. He never has enough riches, enough power. He never has enough of anything. He always wants more. Like death itself, he cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations. He gobbles up land. He seeks power. He seeks dominion. He seeks domination. He heaps up for himself all peoples. Now, this is not the idea of the dead, but of the living. He conquers people and enslaves them. And yet, there is the message of vindication here at the very end, beginning in verse 6. Will not all these, this means those who have been defeated, those who have been dominated, those who have been enslaved, will not they take up a proverb against him? Well, what is that proverb? Well, it says a taunting riddle against him. And in fact, these woes that are about to be pronounced, these five incredible woes of God, are actually, although they are the woes of God, pronounced against those who are proud, they will be sung as a riddle by those who have been wronged by the proud. That's something of poetic justice. God is offering up this amazing uh, prophecy in which not only are these woes the judgment poured out on the proud, but they're also a riddle or a song, a proverb to be used against them. Uh, That is, if you will, the rebellion of pride. It is Those that are drunk on power, drunk on desire, never satisfied. They're not satisfied in the Lord. They want to be satisfied only in wealth and power and indulgence and perversion. 
So if we've seen this idea of the rebellion of pride, we need to see the woes of God, our second point tonight, the woes of God. And to do this, we're going to look at each of the woes individually. Now, as I begin to speak on these woes, it should be said that some commentators point out that the word here is difficult to translate. It may just mean like, aha. But even in that sense, it is an ironic turn of judgment against those who think they are insulated from judgment. And so I think woe is still a a fine translation. Woe, judgment is falling upon those who are proud. Let's look at this first woe. The first woe begins there in verse 6. Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you and you will become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and all who dwell in it. As we look at this first woe, I'm going to try to summarize these or or help us to understand what they are. This first one is the woe to the plunderer, the woe to the plunderer. It's uh, interesting, isn't it? Because it mentions the one who increases what is not his. How do you increase your wealth? You steal it from others. Now that is what this woe is about. Those who would make their wealth by stealing, by theft, they build wealth in an evil way by oppression and violence. Now that is who this first woe is addressed to. It is a woe against those who would plunder to increase. And yet look at the response. In verse 7 and 8, you begin to see what God has in store. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? You know, one of the things that happens to powerful nations is they take from the lesser nations. And at some point they they borrow uh, and they owe creditor nations, but those creditors have no power to retrieve their finances. But what this points to is a day of weakening power, a day when your power begins to ebb and you're no longer the mighty nation you once were. And all those small nations that once had to be silent now rise up and demand payment. When you do not pay, you, the scripture says, become their booty. You become the prize. You become what they plunder because you have plundered many nations. A remnant of the people shall plunder you. In other words, the judgment here is those who plunder shall be plundered. And so, my friends, we need to recognize there is a woe here for those who are so proud that they would willingly subject other people for the purpose of increasing their own wealth. So that's the first woe. Our second woe that we want to look at follows right after it, follows right after it. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house. Now, that might sound again like wealth, like the entire purpose here is simply of accumulating wealth, but that is not what the second woe is about. Listen carefully, because it is a woe on the comfortable and safe. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he might set his nest on high that he might be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Now, my friends, I said this is a woe on the comfortable and safe. 
These are those that try to purchase security. They go out and and covet gain and gain and gain that they might build a, a wall around their house, that they might build a a fortress, that they might build a castle, that they might in some way set their dwelling place in such a position that it is unassailable. Now, the image here is of a house, but as the commentators tell us, it really pictures a lineage, much in the way that uh, David sought to build the Lord a house, and the Lord says that I will build you a house, David, and he meant a lineage, didn't he? The house of David the lineage of David. And so here again, this powerful man seeks to uh, have comfort and security. And I think that is accurate. There is a desire of the proud to build an unassailable fortress, to be in an earthly sense safe, delivered from all danger. But of course, the real picture is of a safety that can be provided to the generation after that and the generation after that. And so both these pictures come together in those who would desire to build for themselves safety and a lineage. And yet, look at what the Scripture says. The woe here, the comeuppance here is, you sought to purchase security. You desired security, and yet what you got in the end is destruction. You sought permanence, and you found only your own end. My friends, this is seen over and over in the Scriptures, isn't it? Over and over again in the Scriptures, we see this very ironic judgment of God, that the very thing that the evil person sought was their downfall. Now, we could go through uh, many examples here, but the point is this is not something uh, that we fail to recognize in the Scriptures as a way that God works, a message to those who are proud and trying to, to build not only safety for themselves, but a lineage for themselves. You know, I'm even thinking now about the prophecy of Obadiah and how in that prophecy, the Edomites had participated in the plundering of God's people. And one of the things that it says in there is that the Edomites felt safe because of Petra, because they had this uh, rock, if you will, or, or stone fortress built into a cliffside, and it had a narrow entrance that maybe one or two people could come through at a time. It made it almost impossible for an army to pass through and enter into Petra. And yet our God said that if I bring judgment upon the Edomites, it doesn't matter where you're hiding. There is no place of security from the hand of Almighty God, no place of security from God's judgment. And there is no lineage that God cannot bring an end to. My friends, this is a message to those who think that they can, through evil, build their own security and heritage. In fact, the very building that they build will rebel against them and collapse. Their own lineage will collapse. It will come to pass. And so there is a woe against those who desire to be comfortable and safe. The next woe here is found in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. What is this woe? This third woe is about those who desire to build for themselves a name. That's the whole point of cities in the ancient world, isn't it? 
We see it in the Old Testament, in the early books, if you will, like Genesis, where people went out to build a city. We even see it in the Tower of Babel that they had sought to build this tower to deliver themselves and make a name for themselves. We see it even in uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his love for the city of Babylon and what a great thing he thought he had done in building the city that gave him a name. And yet what our Lord says is, Woe to those who through violence try to build a name by building a town, who establish a city in sin. And what the Lord says is that there is a woe here on the vain. There is a woe here on the vain because you seek glory, but you will only find shame. You seek to be remembered and you will only be forgotten. Woe to the vain. Woe to those who desire to build their own glory. Their glory shall be brought low and into shame. But my friends, look at what the Lord says here. I love it. He says, you try to build glory for yourself. You try to build a name for yourself, and yet you will fall. Your cities will fall. Your names will be forgotten by by many people, and yet the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. My friends, that is an awesome declaration. You seek to bring fame to yourself, yet it's God who will be glorified. It is God whose glory will be renowned. It is God whose name will be praised and remembered and praised forevermore. The fourth woe is woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. This is a woe on the perverse, a woe on the perverse. You have fed your debauchery with a cup of wine and violence. You've gotten those around you drunk, and so you can take advantage of them, so you can look upon their nakedness. We know the biblical imagery here to look upon someone's nakedness and what that infers. You've gotten them drunk and taken advantage of them. You've used the cup of wine, and you've used violence and wrongdoing to feed your debauchery and your perversion. But look at the promise of the Lord in the very next verse, because it's interesting that there is a a cup mentioned here as well. You also drink. The Lord's saying, now it's your turn to take a drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you. My friends, that cup of wrath and judgment will be turned on this godless, proud man who would use these things to take advantage of those around him, to feed his own lust, his own perversions, his own debauchery. God says, you who have used alcohol, you have have used the cup of wine to seduce and, and feed your own perversions at the expense of others, you will be exposed. They'll be exposed as uncircumcised. Now, this is a very Old Testament way of saying outside the community of God. You will be exposed for what you are, a rebel against the glory of God, and judgment will fall upon you. My friends, that fifth woe comes at the end. It really begins in verse 18. And look at what it says there. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. 
Woe to him who says to wood, awake, the silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Again, amen. Now this is a woe to the idolater. A woe to the idolater. He seeks wisdom from something he himself has made. He takes wood, he takes other materials, and he fashions a god. You seek wisdom from some piece of wood that you've carved, and yet in the end, the God who would offer you wisdom, the God who created you in his image, will bring judgment upon you. Woe to those who would steal the glory of God and cast it upon, cast it upon an idol made of human hands. Now, my friends, those five woes are very serious. We don't want to overlook that. These woes are very serious. All of them represent the proud man, the proud man who seeks to build wealth, not to store up his treasure in heaven, but to have as much of it on earth as he can, no matter what it takes to get it to one who would try to build security on earth instead of making God his comfort and security. Woe to the one who would build his own name instead of saying, as John the Baptist did, I must decrease, he must increase. Woe to those who try to fulfill the the desires of their heart through perversion and debauchery instead of setting their heart's desire upon Jesus Christ. And woe to those who worship idols instead of giving glory to the God of all glory, the God of creation, our triune and thrice holy God. So my friends, have we seen the rebellion of pride and the woes of God? We need to see the glory of God. That's the point here. The problem at its basis is a problem of worship. Not not that there's worship. We need to say this over and over again. The problem is not a lack of worship. There is worship. All men worship. It's the object of worship. You see, the proud man worships himself and his own desires. He worships his own perversions. He worships his own security and safety. He worships his own wealth and power. The just worship God, finds his comfort in God, finds his strength in God, finds his security in God, finds his riches in God, finds his hope in God. My friends, our God is a God of glory. He is a mighty, righteous, and holy God, a God worthy of worship. I want to close tonight by bringing attention to one final point. Scholars will point out that all of these references to woes, all five of them, are really directed to the Chaldeans. They are the object of the long-promised destruction or long-promised judgment of God. I think that's true. Habakkuk is asking about the Chaldeans. Will they escape judgment? God is saying, no, they will not. But if you remember, we've been talking about how the question of Habakkuk is really larger than the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans simply fit a pattern that Habakkuk is asking about. Why is it, God, that the powerful plunder the weak, the rich plunder the poor, the evil plunder the righteous? Why is it that there seems to be no justice in the world, O God? Why is that? Now, that is a question larger than simply the Chaldeans, although the Chaldeans are the current example to Habakkuk. 
Those in Judah who were violent and and evil could have also been an example. I don't think God is simply answering a short-term answer here. We've spoken about this. He says, write it on tablets of stone. Record it so that it will not be forgotten. Well, what is that promise? Not that the Chaldeans shall be judged, but that all the proud shall be judged. All nations, all individuals, all armies, all leaders, all those who are proud shall be judged. That is the promise of God. Judgment shall fall on the proud. Yes, the Chaldeans, the proud there, yes. But would you notice for a moment how well these woes line up with the complaints in chapter 1 that Habakkuk makes against Judah? The entire point of this letter is that God is bringing judgment by the Chaldeans upon Judah for these same prideful traits. The Chaldeans, as problematic as they are to Habakkuk, are the very means of these woes being inflicted upon those in Judah. But the message is the Chaldeans won't escape either. Woe upon them. Judgment is coming upon them. But in the bigger picture, judgment is coming upon all the proud. All the proud. Whether in Habakkuk's day or in Christ's day or in the 2,000 years since then or however long into the future that the Lord tarries before he returns, all the proud shall be judged and all the righteous shall live by their faith. Amen.